Philippians chapter 1 tonight. tell you from the very depth of my heart one more time, thank you so very much for the hospitality, the accommodations, the meals. Uh, my goodness, I'm, I'm going to have to go home and uh, repent of the overeating and that kind of stuff. We have been fed uh, just a, a real uh, banquet every time. Appreciate all the work. I know that there's a lot that goes in to taking care of guests and you're second to none in the way that you've treated my family and I and put us up and so just want to tell you so very much I appreciate it appreciate the time for fellowship with not just the missionaries but with your pastor I've known him as he said when we first started uh, for a number of years and I've always admired your pastor his stand for the Lord his heart um, I've always been fed when he's been around and preaching and those things and just appreciate the opportunity to stand in his pulpit is quite humbling and uh, Brother Smith thank you so very much for the invite to be here. Philippians chapter 1 tonight I want to preach something that may be a little different for missions conference but I think by the time it all unfolds it'll help us and make sense and really that's what we're here for. We want to help. I uh, want God to help us and give us what he has from his word. And so you're there in Philippians chapter 1. Let's stand tonight if you would. Give you a chance to stretch your legs. And we might stand in honor of our text this evening as we read the word of God. Philippians chapter 1 beginning in verse number 12. The Bible says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. Our Father, tonight we do count it a privilege to be gathered God, we want to rejoice so very much in the fact of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And God, it's not just a miracle in itself, and certainly it would be worth our time to spend praising you and worshiping you over the fact that you let us, dear God, have the opportunity of salvation, change our lives, our hearts, and Father, I'm amazed tonight the fact that you not only do that, but you let us serve you. Father, I'd like to stand and be able to say I've always done right, but I haven't been the best servant I should be. And yet, God, you're so gracious and merciful. Father, you still got something for me to do. And I'm thankful for it. I pray, God, that you'll help me. I got no other agenda tonight than to be a help and a challenge, maybe a blessing to your people.
God, I pray that the word of God would go forth, take root in our heart, produce within us all that you desire. And we'll be careful to thank you as we ask it together tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much. You may be seated. In studying the book of Philippians, in particular the life of the Apostle Paul, there's very little doubt that the church of Philippi had a special place in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Now I'm quite aware that 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 28 tells us that the care of all the churches came upon Paul every single day and I believe that. I believe Paul had a real special burden for all the ministries and the churches that God had used him and allowed him to have a part in to being established. I believe that Paul loved every single place that God, no matter, no matter how backwards they might have been, no matter how carnal and all the problems that somehow had flooded into these different churches along the way, I believe that Paul loved them with a real sincere desire and burden for the Lord and I'm telling you, when you give your play, yourself to a place, that that desire and that burden and that heart for them ought to be evident. And I believe it's evident in the life of the Apostle Paul. But there's something about the church at Philippi that's just extra special. It's a place that's very, very dear to him. Look with me in chapter number one. Just go up a couple of places and look in verse number seven and notice the way he addresses this church. He says here in verse number seven, he says, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. I'm just thinking about you. I'm not with you. I'm not in your presence. But man, you just I just can't get you off my heart. Notice what he says in verse number eight. For God is my record. In other words, he's saying this openly. I stand before the Lord and as God is my witness, is kind of what he's saying here. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul wasn't one just to give to flattering. He wasn't one who was just given to speech and kind of trying to put it on thick. What he wrote here, number one, was inspired of God, but number two, my friend, was from the heart of the Apostle Paul to this church, and he loved them, and he cared about them in a very real way. And so as he writes this church, he says in our passage tonight, verse number 12, but I would ye should understand. I want you to get a hold of some things, Paul says. I, I want you to know and realize, and I want you to understand to get a hold, to comprehend some things that I'm about to tell you. Here's what he talks about. He says that the things which happened unto me. Now, my friend, he's talking in regards to his imprisonment. He's been arrested He's been put into bonds. And actually, you go to verse 13, he says this, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. He has been arrested, and this church somehow has kept up 
with what Paul's been through. And so when he tells them the things that happened unto me, he doesn't go into detail. He doesn't explain all of them because it's already understood that they knew what he was talking about. They knew what he had been through. He's been arrested. He is imprisoned. In fact, he, the Bible says there in verse 13 that he is put into the palace. That's talking about Caesar's court. Don't, don't think in the idea of the palace as if he's staying in the guest bedroom of Caesar down the hall and he's got room service and maids and a butler at his disposal. It's talking about the fact that he has been delivered to Caesar's court. It's much like Jesus when Jesus was delivered to Pilate's hall. My friend, this is not a scene of luxury. This is not one where everything is going well and everything is going right. Paul has been through some real battles and the things that he has gone through have been anything but luxurious. You go to chapter 28 of the book of Acts and about verse 16, it talks about when he comes to Rome, he is delivered to the captain of the guard. That guard there is in reference to the imperial guard that guarded Caesar's court. And they say that this guard was from anywhere to 16 to 20,000 soldiers. They were charged with keeping the safety and security of Caesar's palace as well as Caesar and his own family. And even though he was allowed to have his own dwelling, the Bible teaches in Acts 28, my friend, that when he was, de when he was delivered, that he had a soldier who was to keep watch or guard over him. Many believe because of what was practiced by the Romans that when he was delivered to a particular guard, he was literally chained to him. You remember Acts chapter 12 when Peter was put into the inner prison waiting his own execution? He was chained between two guards. That was a Roman practice, a Roman custom. And so here Paul is and he's writing to this church and he says, I want you to understand something the things that have happened unto me. I, I don't want you to stick out your lip and I don't want you to weep and I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to know that some things that have transpired, God has worked out for his glory. He says there in verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. When the Lord said and declared in Acts chapter 9 that Paul would end up suffering great things for the Lord, this is part of it. And my friend, certainly he has suffered. And again, this is anything but luxurious. He is having a very difficult time. He goes to Rome and the Bible says that he has to wait two years before he is brought before Caesar. Now you think our court system is slow. Two years. Two years of being mistreated, mocked, beaten, abused. And yet, through it all, 
Paul says, I want you to understand something. I want you to see this properly. Please don't feel sorry for me. Please don't. God has done something through this particular instance and the things that have happened on me. What I want you to do tonight is I want to look at our passage. I want to pull out some things that Paul wanted this church to understand. And then I want to give you the title of a message and make a particular application. First of all tonight, I want you to notice that he wanted the church at Philippi to understand the divine purpose. So what do you mean, preacher? Here's what he says. I would ye understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, now notice this, have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. The Lord has taken my situation, my circumstances, and he's taken the gospel further than what we could have ever imagined. The word furtherance is an interesting word because the word has its roots in military history and it's talking about overcoming obstacles and barriers when an army would advance. You understand in military history that often people would build forts or build barriers. They would barricade themselves into particular uh, defensive positions and they would either put man-made obstacles in the way or they would use the landscape as obstacles and barriers. And what it was to do, it was to hinder the advancement of the army to their goal. Paul says... What God has put me through has broken down those barriers. It has gotten through that. And my friend, he says, I've been able to invade. <laughs> I've been able to advance into ways and areas that you would have never imagined. Now think about that. You think about where Paul is. My friend, he's in the imperial guards. He's talking to some of the meanest cruelest men that the Roman Empire has as their soldiers. You think about what you know about the Bible. And remember when Jesus was crucified, Pilate gives orders to these men that are part of the Roman soldiers. And you know what they did? They would have scourged him but before they scourged him, the Bible says they took him inside Pilate's hall. And there they put a robe upon him and a crown of thorns upon him. And they spat upon him and they beat him and they pulled out his beard. Do you know that that was not what Pilate ordered them to do? Those men did that because of what was in their heart. That's the kind of men that were part of these soldiers and you think about those men there in Palestine and you think about what Paul's dealing with. Paul is there and he's before these men. He's right in the midst of them. And look what it says in verse 13. He says in verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest. Hey, people are taking notice 
of what's going on. They're taking notice of the message that he's preaching along the way. God has allowed Paul right in the smack dab middle of these soldiers to preach the gospel to them. And guess what? Some of them are responding. Some of them are getting saved. Now, Paul could have never done that under his own plan, under his own attempts. You think what those men would have thought about had Paul showed up one day, said, hey guys, I want to talk to you about something. They'd have laughed him out at best and they'd have executed him on the spot at worst. Paul didn't plan this. Paul's not the one that devised this entire scenario. God had a purpose with his life. And God brought circumstances that allowed the furtherance of the gospel. I'm going to tell you, that's incredible. Go over to chapter 4 with me tonight and look at a verse. In chapter 4, in the book of Philippians, verse number 22 Paul is writing his benediction here. He's closing out his epistle to this church. And here's what he says. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. Hey, all the saints tell me to tell you hello. That word salute means to send greetings to. They're sending their greetings but mainly all these, a bunch of these soldiers that have gotten saved and trusted the Lord, they're sending their greetings to you as well. So preacher, what's your point tonight? I'm going to tell you, my friend, that Paul would have never thought in a million years that his situation and circumstance would have worked out the way it did. But God was in control and God had a purpose with his life and God put him in a situation and circumstance and it was said and done. It worked out to the furtherance of the gospel to people getting saved that Paul could have never imagined. Incredible to understand what God has orchestrated. My friend, listen to me tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, God has a divine purpose with your life. You see, we think sometimes, well, of course, you know, Paul, preacher, you need to understand God used him because of his position He's an apostle. He's a preacher. Of course God's going to use him. I'm going to tell you tonight, positions come and go. What do you mean by that? If the Lord doesn't return, one of these days, I'll not be a pastor anymore. What do you mean? I can't pastor forever. There's going to come a day when my health will not allow me to pastor I I don't expect that anytime soon. But there's going to come a day if the Lord doesn't return and call me home that I'm going to have to change my position. Positions change. Positions come and go. 
But the purpose of my life, my friend, is still as real as it is today as it's ever been. God's got a purpose with me. He's working things out in my life and it's so that I might bring him glory and honor in all that I do. He's working on my behalf. And he's working it for his good and for his glory. And so don't get this idea, well, you know, of course he'll use Paul. Paul was an apostle. Of course he would use Brother Elam. Brother Elam's a missionary. Of course he would use Pastor Smith. He's got the position of being a pastor. Now listen to me. God's got a purpose with every single child of God. We gotta quit worrying about so much about positions and realize we have a purpose as the children of God. God's got a purpose. He wants to use you. Several years ago in Christian circles, there came out a book that was kind of popular among society about 40 days of purpose. Some of you looking at me blank have no idea what I'm talking about and bless your heart for it. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you tonight, my life's got more than 40 days of purpose. I've got a purpose every single day for the Lord Jesus Christ. We do. We've got a purpose. And so there's a divine purpose. He says here that God has opened this thing up and the furtherance of the gospel has gone forth. But notice not just the divine purpose. Notice the direct provocation. Look what it says. Read this with me. You follow along. I'll read. He says in verse number 13, so that my bonds in Christ, well, well, first of all, verse number 12, but I would ye should understand, brethren, and the first thing he wants them to understand is the divine purpose. And he goes on and explains so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all the other places. Now notice this, and. So I want you to understand the divine purpose, but I want you to understand something else as well. He says, many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You know what Paul says? Paul says, God has been able to take my situation and my circumstances and my life. And not only has he opened doors and opportunities to share the gospel, but God has allowed my life to provoke others to be bold in their witnessing. God's allowed me to influence other Christians for him. You study the early church in the book of Acts and you'll find out tonight that when persecution arose and they watched God's hand and watched the response of the people amidst those hardships and those trials and those persecutions, my friend, often it says that they were more bold to speak the word of God. Acts chapter 4 verse 31, Peter and John have been arrested for preaching And all the things that they were doing. And it says specifically in verse 31 that they spake the word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, there was great persecution that rose to the church of Jerusalem. We talked about that. 
the other night. But then it goes on to say in Acts 8, 4, they were scattered abroad and went everywhere preaching the word. Wouldn't it be interesting, wouldn't it be wonderful tonight if God could take your life and your situation and your circumstances and your hardships and my friend encourage your brethren and your fellow church members by your response and they be encouraged and strengthened. If God can do this for you, what might he do for me? I'm telling you it's a life worth spending to serve the Lord and if God will put us up as an example to our brethren to use our life in the midst of the things we're going through. Back, I'll tell you, if we're going to be used as an example, our example shines brighter and speaks louder when we handle adversity more than it speaks when we handle good times. You think about all the Old Testament prophets and how God used their lives, not just their voice and the message they preached, but literally used their lives as an example to his people. You remember the story in the account of Hosea? God tells Hosea to go marry a woman of immorality and that whole story and account is not about Hosea and Gomer. It's about God's people and how they had treated God. But I'm going to tell you the application for our admonition is that story's about us, my friend. It sets an example about us, about how we treat God often in our Christian lives. Why did God do that to Hosea? Because Hosea had been rotten? No, because God could trust Hosea. God could trust Hosea to put him through difficulty and trials and know that Hosea would do right. And he set his life up as an example to those that would watch him. Take your Bible with me if you would. Go over to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10, we often talk about verse 25 and we use that in our Baptist churches about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together and I believe that and I'll just give you a little thought tonight on that. It doesn't say that we're not just to forsake the attending of ourselves together, it says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. You can have everything in attendance and not be assembled. Assembled means to be connected. You ever go to Walmart, buy something that says assembly required? I hate them things. Never turns out right, ever. But you can have all those parts in attendance and not be assembled. The assembling is the connecting, feeling your, so, so we, we preach that and we look at that and we say, yeah, that's a local church issue. And, and we understand verse 25. But I'm going to tell you, we ought not skip over verse 24. 
Here's what the Bible says in verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. If God could use my life as an example to provoke God's people to be further strengthened and encouraged and committed to getting the gospel out, then my friend, whatever trial, whatever tribulation, whatever suffering, heartache, it comes my way, it ought to be worth it if God will use me in that direction. Absolutely. What a privilege to be used of the Lord to influence others And the very thing that's closest to the heart of God. And then look with me tonight in verse 18. Back to our passage in Philippians chapter 1. By the way, he said there that we're to provoke each other, one another to good works. You want to know what the word provoke means? It means to incite. You want to see provoking? Watch a little brother with his big sister. He knows how to provoke. I watch my boys. I had four older sisters. I know what it is to provoke. I get around my boys every once in a while and say, no, you're doing it wrong. This is what you do. Incite them to a response. God could use our life and the way we respond to adversity, hardship, heartache, and provoke our brothers and sisters and encourage them. He could trust Hosea. He could trust Paul. I wonder tonight if he could trust me. Could he trust you? To know that no matter what he puts us through, we're going to respond right. And he's going to be able to work the furtherance of the gospel with our own witness. And he's going to be able to use us to provoke others to speak more boldly than they ever have. I want you to understand, brethren. I want you to get a hold of this divine purpose. I want you to get a hold of this direct provocation. But then he goes on to say in verse number 18, he says, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, Here's what he says, and therein do I do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. He he has a declared pleasure. This is what it's all about. Wow. But Paul, Paul, some some of their motives for preaching Jesus isn't what it ought to be. Paul says, if Jesus is preached, I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm going to rejoice in the fact. That Christ is being exalted and preached and the gospel is going forward. Now I want you to think about what Paul's dealing with tonight. He's in prison. It's not luxurious. He's no doubt suffered beatings, mockings, cruelty. He's going through all this and he's telling this church, please understand. I want you to get a hold of this. Don't weep for me. Don't feel sorry for me. Look what God has done. He begins to testify on behalf of what the Lord has. He says, I'm going to rejoice. Now, Paul's not rejoicing 
in his adversity, per se. He's not glad he's hurting. Paul's not jumping up and down, yay, I get to spend more days in prison. It's not any of that. He's rejoicing over what these situation and circumstances have produced. It's much like what Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2 says when it says that we're to look to Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, and it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't just rejoice in the fact that he was going to suffer. But my friend, he rejoiced over what that suffering produced. Here's the title of the message tonight. It's a simple question. How do you want it to turn out? Can I be real honest with you? 2020 has been a doozy of a year. That may not be scriptural terminology, but that's Oklahoma term. It's been a very weird, crazy, difficult we're supposed to turn our clocks back an hour this Saturday. I think I'm refusing to accept any more time of 2020. <laughs> I'm just not going to do it. It's been a, I mean, you take this virus, you take the sickness, you take the shutdowns, you take the violence and the riots of our cities, the political divide at the very fabric of our country and it's been constantly thrown in our face through media and devices and those things and you take that that we've all seen we've all been exposed to we've all gone through and then you couple that anybody else tonight have a hard year personally I'm not asking you to raise your hand I'm not asking it's just a I'm actually listen this has not only been a, a hard year for us as, as a people, as a nation, but I'm going to tell you it's been a difficult for me this year. We've had some things happen, some things transpire that absolutely are gut-wrenching. And what the tendency is is for us to look at all our heartaches, our hardships, and kind of pooch out our lip and say, woe is me. Man, this is... But what if God would take our situation and our circumstances that he knew about before they ever even came up in our imagination? He already knew about them. He was already aware of them. What if we would let God use those circumstances for the furtherance of the gospel and the provoking of our brothers and sisters for the cause of Christ? Oh, preacher. No, come on. Are we just going to let these situations arise and, well, it's just another hard time. Or might we respond properly as the people of God ought to? Amen. May God use that which we deal with. You never know 
who's watching you. You never know what co-worker is watching your life, knowing what's going on, some family member, somebody else in the community, what God might do with you. Hey, Paul said, I want you to understand. He's not making light of what he's had to deal with. God knows my heart tonight. I wouldn't dare make light of what God's people have to deal with and the stress and the hurt and the anxiety. But my friend, let's not just let these opportunities go by. May God help us to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and thereby glorify our Heavenly Father. How do you want it to turn out? Because it really comes down to how you respond. How you respond and how you deal with these issues can either hurt the work of God or God can take it and use it to further his kingdom and his work in ways you never thought possible. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 is still in the Bible. And he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly. I love that. It's just like he ratchets it up every time. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. What might bring heartache and pain to our lives now, God's very capable of using in the eternal picture. To get the gospel to those that you never thought possible. How do we want it to turn out? Paul said, I would have you understand that the things which happened unto me have fallen out. When it's all said and done, this is the situation. You see, we often look at the present and forget that God looks at a situation with the end in mind. Let's trust him tonight. Let's ask him to use whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're going through. Hey, there's a community here that is unsettled as you are about the virus. They're as unsettled as you are about the political climate, you've got the answer. May they look at you, may they hear you, may God use the situations of our nation and us personally for his glory. I want it to turn out right. I want it to be for him. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed tonight. Listen, it matters. It so much matters how you respond. I know that days are stressful. I know sometimes the things we deal with Weigh heavy on our heart. 
And I may not know you personally and all the things you're going through. But I know life takes its toll. And I know God as well. God's able. God's capable of taking your situation and working it out to the furtherance of the gospel. Why don't you trust him tonight? Why don't you give him your situation, your circumstance, and put it in his hands? Say, God, help me to respond right. Help me to do everything you want me to do. That your name might be glorified and the cause of Christ to be strengthened.